Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 143 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Uh, we're uh, trying something a little different for our <laughs> live listeners because... Uh, we don't technically have internet at the studio, but we do have a phone and some microphones and some very crafty technology. We do have a lot of crafty technology, so hopefully our live people are hearing us yes. right now. Yes. Um, and hopefully it sounds uh, sounds decent enough. And I can't watch the live chat, so I'm going to leave that up to you if anybody's if we kept anybody still out there. So. Right on, right on. So I've put the call out to ask if anybody can hear us out there. But uh, one way or another, though, this show is getting recorded. It yes. Will be, uh, it will be live the, the normal time. So sorry about all this. Uh, if you're hearing all this on the recording, if and if it's if the recording's bad, we're very sorry. <laughs> and apparently, we are being heard. Out okay, there on the well, internet land, so. we will we will try and and make for a decent show. So, uh, so the topic for tonight kind of came out of left field with me and left Sarah scratching her head a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I thought it was an interesting uh, fifteen minute discussion that turned into philosophy of role playing one hundred and one. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So, um, the idea came out of like, when does a board game become an RPG? Mm-hmm. Like, when when are you really role playing in a game? And for me, it's when a story is added or told in those mechanics. Now, that's kind of a generic way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, sure. But sure. like, the box of rules doesn't necessarily have a story. Some of the more advanced board games and the more recent board games have stories, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. full-on stories, which I think are great. Oh yeah, yeah. And, um, and the board game, the board game economy right now is is pretty booming, uh, especially in the last yeah. last handful of years. I would definitely say so, more so than I think it's ever had it, and that's great because there's a lot more access. Oh yeah, you had it for um, FLGS, and it's and literally they've got an entire like long wall. I I of would board games. give it at least a hundred square feet of of just straight wall space that's easily 10 12 feet high mm-hmm. of shelves mm-hmm. um so very impressive very impressive um and there are much I, i've seen crazy board game stores that have even more than that um but the majority of games mm-hmm. have a basic setting rules and that's it but even like and I use the term when we were kids lightly, um, because as adults, I think we do it more so. We play games and add story, add events. Um, I, I know people who play the card game Smash Up, which is where you have a series of factions. I'll use the term factions loosely, like gorillas and robots and ninjas and, you know, aliens and, and you know, uh, you know, Marvel people or, you know, like that. And you take two of them, you smash them together and you go against someone else to try and take over an area. Mm-hmm. And people have come up with little stories and things while that game is being played. Oh, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. I personally remember from my childhood people playing the game of life you know which literally kind of dictates life but really doesn't have a story of its own coming up with stories i mean the commercials had stories in them Mm -hmm. there was clearly roles being played out there about babies being born and second babies being born and third mortgages on homes and things like that but then you have the more like meat and potatoes fantasy games like hero quest oh yeah 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 
I mean, I, I played that a little when I was good. I'm sure you played it at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, and I want to say, actually, I might have played Hero Quest before I ever actually played real, honest-to-goodness Dungeons & Dragons. Okay, okay. Because uh, if you remember, you know, I've, I've mentioned this on the, show, on the show before, but, like, my, my parents were not, like, huge holy rollers into the satanic panic or anything like sure, that. Sure, like, sure. They didn't it freak was, out, but it came up. They, they, didn't, they didn't mind that I was playing Palladium. They didn't mind that I was playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but then the... And that was okay as yeah, a role-playing yeah, game. Yeah. But the moment I said, hey, my, my, my friend from from school wants to run Dungeons & Dragons, uh, they were like, mm, I don't know, that's mm-hmm. kind of evil, isn't it? Yep, yeah. yep, yep. So it, it definitely puts a, a, a tinge on it a little bit. But you'd always come up with, like, little stories about your character because you're playing, like, a fighter or a, a or the, you know, ranger or whatever, right? Nox in the box uh, in the live chat is actually mentioning Omega Virus. Oh. That, okay, so that was a board game from back in I the day. I do where remember it vaguely. You were on a uh, like a spaceship or a space station or something like that, and there was this, and it talked. Yes, um, yes. It had the speaker in the middle, and I remember because I like I still to this day remember that I, I quoted every so mm-hmm. then, and it would go like, "You fools, just five minutes till I take over." Right, right. And, like it would put the pressure on you, you right, know, right. almost like its own automated storyteller. Yeah, and and but it was things like that with that would give us these feelings that we were involved that we were telling a story and we would add things to it Mm -hmm. i mean i remember playing monopoly and people getting you know all kinds of into it you know you know you can't stay in my hotel you know or you owe me this because of blah 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 you know and you're going to jail because you know i went to jail because i couldn't pay my taxes and maybe i had some offshore accounts you know but like there was all kinds of little things to that i mean i i remember playing um what was it? Uh, Last Day on Earth, which is like a zombie game. And somebody plays the zombies and everybody else plays survivors. And mm-hmm. that's very much that. It is, you know, when you flub getting through to something or or miss the zombies or whatever, and you're like, no, go on without me. Like, mm-hmm. your character isn't saying that. There's nowhere in the rules that tells you to do those things. <laughs> you're clearly role-playing at that point at some level. Um you had on here uh, Eldritch Horror. Eldritch Horror, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, you, which you love. I absolutely, absolutely adore that game. Uh, we we picked it up. We took it up north for one of our uh, one of our summer trips. Okay. Um, and played it with uh, Sean and his brothers and his friend. Yeah. Uh, and just we went through the entire game. It just it was nothing but a week full of Eldritch Horror. It was great. <laughs> Uh, Eldritch Horror Boot Camp. Um, but uh, the thing that I really liked about that is that you've got actual like um. It's it's all players versus the board mm-hmm. sort of uh, sort mm-hmm. of game where uh, you're not trying to become the victor over everybody else. Very cooperative. Um, very cooperative, and uh, you start by picking a particular character, and of mm-hmm. course, it's a Eldritch Horror is a, is a Lovecraftian game, so it's uh, um, like you know you've got your 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 1920s sort of archetypes and stuff. Yeah, like that. but yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. there's no requirement to role play them. It's just that you know when you pick your character, you get sort of a, you know starting equipment and a special ability, basically. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that kind of puts that character into a role. Yeah. That you yeah. play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling this. And uh, some of the other things that I really like doing is like uh, it. You you can take turns doing it, but typically like there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of decks of cards in that game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and each like they have the encounters on them and the the outcomes of those encounters and whatnot right and so when somebody has to pull an encounter card it's easier to have those cards sitting in front of one specific person who will mm. pull them and read them right um and so i was usually that person mm-hmm. and i would put on a british accent and read <laughs> each card individually like this yes 
And uh, it was just a lot of fun, you know? It yeah. Kind of got everybody yeah. into the mood of it. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, and, and that's what I'm talking about is, is that we're stepping away from the rules a little bit to mm-hmm. add flavor to it, to do something different. Um, and I think that's really kind of what what brings us closer to that agency of being able to play a role and do something that affects the story and not necessarily the game itself. Mm -hmm. The game becomes just what the outcomes are, which is really no different than any other RPG as we know it today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, The question then is, is that in the difference and you kind of brought it up was that it's cooperative. Mm -hmm. No one person is winning, you know, D&D um, was set up with basically, like, the group, the team, attempting to win. Versus the storyteller. Versus the storyteller. Who would set, well, Dungeon Master, right. who would set traps and such like that and monsters right. out for them. And right. Would continue laying things Try out. to kill them in their giant mega dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. And that continued, I mean, that, that sounds like a board game, because there's a outcome of winning from it based upon mechanics yeah in a lot of ways and you know when you consider that it was that it had its origins in a tabletop war game mm-hmm. battle game you know and that role play was tacked on kind of i don't want to say as an afterthought but like as a it was it was secondary to the yeah. war gaming aspect of it. yeah i mean but at the same time if you take that same concept and you mm-hmm. try and put it back on board games like you play monopoly or settlers and say that only one person at the time at the table could a interpret the rules and if they made a decision that was it Mm -hmm. no one else could change that that was their decisional rule you might feel a little i don't know off about that it might feel a little crappy you know yeah 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 yeah. so it doesn't work going back the other direction um and most games are player versus player not mm-hmm. necessarily player versus table. I'm not saying like pandemic or something like that, where it's it really is a hundred percent co-op. You go There's back still... to like Candyland or whatever. You yeah, know, it, it's trouble. Defi- it's definitely who's going to reach the end by the thing, or who's right, going to get the most right. points when the game when the game you know ends. Yeah. So so really, we're talking about what bridges the two, and I think it's that cohesive cohesiveness about the narrative. Mm-hmm. It's not. That, that we use the word story very loosely when we're doing it with a board game. We're yeah. just kind of throwing some imagery out there to get it. Um, but because we're locked into these mechanics, we really can't do more. Like we're stuck with this hardened uh, system, a clock almost, that mm-hmm. this is how the grind works. We're just trying to cram on top of it something fun and fluffy to make it feel better. Yeah, sure. Right? Sure, absolutely. So this is going to end up being a much larger discussion, not necessarily tonight, but I think it's kind of important. And that is, is and Sean brought this up beautifully over uh, dinner the other night uh, when we were talking, and that is that mechanics become the crutch for role play. Like, you can't do things without them in some systems. Mm-hmm. And you see this happen more and more. And we... We, we look at role-playing games through a different lens than we do board games, but in many times we tend to treat that like a board game. Oh, sure, sure. We force right. that 
that window and try to cram the terms of balance well, your, and rule sets. Yeah, your your mechanics are going to dictate your roleplay in a lot of ways, whether you want them to or not. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's kind of where they become a crutch for roleplays, because rather than, you know, freely roleplaying in them and using the mechanics to adjudicate certain outcomes, a lot of people will look at their sheet and look at the rules and say, well, what can I do? Exactly. Like, what are my moves becomes a question. What do I do next? The brain is still attached to what are my steps of play as a player mm-hmm. in this board game. Exactly. I mean, I used to hear that all the time when I would bring people into D&D. It's like, well, well, what do I do? Well, what do you want to do? No, no, I I don't know what my actions are. What can I do? Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're trying to board gamify it. Well, sure, it. sure, and and I I think part of that part of that definitely comes from that the, the analysis paralysis, especially mm-hmm. for new players, of mm-hmm. like the being told you can do anything is a far too vast of a chasm of possibility for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and so you you wanted something a little a little a little more control because at least if I say okay you can roll the dice to attack they they know how that works now right you know right. there's there's a process to complete that but giant air quotes anything is a little too nebulous to kind of grasp. Well, I mean, you even brought it up when we were talking about um, systems and initiative. Mm -hmm. Like, your brain was attached to initiative, so when when a system comes to you and says, we just kind of go into combat, you're like, what? Oh, yeah, powered by the apocalypse. (laughs) I'm reading through, uh, uh, what was it, Um, Urban Shadows. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow, I really like how how the flow of this game goes, but, like, how do you decide who goes first? Who gets initiative? Who Who goes first? Like, if somebody says, well, I lash out physically... Okay, cool. Obviously, you're initiating that, so probably you'd go first. But then, like, how do you determine who else in that, you know, so you don't get a bunch of people at the table shouting, well, I do this, I do this, I do this. Okay, you got to have some sort of a turn order. Right. Right? There's no initiative system in Urban Shadows. No. (laughs) And I still, to this day, don't know what to do with that. Right. Your your brain wants to set some rules in place to handle that. Mm Mm-hmm. And some people do. Like, there are definitely, um, there's definitely some homebrew or, or discussionary topics about that. But, like, we've stepped away from that mm-hmm. by going into that system. I mean, it's it's funny that, that that simple act, that simple thing draws us right back to those, that basic feeling of, like, how does order come into this? Well, for me, though, like, okay, so... I'm sure you've you've had tables where this has happened, this, mm-hmm. and I may have even contributed to this in the past. I try not Quite to be possibly. this person, but um, where you get uh, the villain, you want to do you want to do something. You're doing a reveal. You're doing a yeah. hard move sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and the villain is you know monologuing, and he's like, and now, and you get about halfway through that sentence, and three of your four players shout out, "I shoot him in the head," or 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 something like that. Right. You know, and they want to—they want to interrupt him. They want to be the first person to get the drop, so he doesn't do right. the thing that he is set up to do. So he doesn't make that hard move. Right, right. And it, your response to that as a storyteller is then going to be, "Okay, roll initiative." And if you roll high enough, maybe you'll get to do that, do the thing before he's able to to push the button or whatever. Right. But. If not, you know, if you don't have an initiative system, do you just tell your players, like, sit down and shut up, I'm not done monologuing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean to, it, to be nice about it, to but, be, you know. To be nice about it. You but, know, yeah. but what, what do you do at that point? Now, that's what went through my brain, was like, right. 
okay, I lash out physically. Well, then the villain, you know, and I'm, I'm halfway through the sentence of the villain, you know, returns mm-hmm. fire or the villain does this or the villain does that. And having three of my four players all shouting actions at me trying to, you know, right. interrupt the villain. Right, right. Without an initiative system, what do you do? Right. But but at the same time, it's that it is a social contract. It's a roundabout, you know? It's 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 that thing where there has to be at least some level of social understanding. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and the, the other, the other big thing for, uh, like mechanics, um, enforcing or dictating role play. Ooh. Yeah. 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 Like how often have you seen the big dumb fighter? <laughs> lots. I mean, lots. Yeah. Right. So think about why that is. Is that because, the big dumb fighter is a common player choice or is it because mechanically just mechanically speaking mm-hmm. fighters require high strength high constitution high dexterity but they do not require high intelligence high charisma high wisdom intelligence becomes what we all colloquially call a dump stat yes right yeah 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 um because it's not needed for your character but mechanically the other stats are and so you always end up with this trope of the big dumb fighter because mechanically, especially if you're using a point pie or a standard array, yeah. you can't afford to put a high stat in your intelligence. No, that's true. The, the game doesn't allow you to. And so you end up with this prevalence of the big dumb fighter archetype simply because smart fighter isn't on the menu. Well, and it's not necessary. Like, I... <laughs> One of the things that I have witnessed over and over again, reading through uh, Reddit articles and and uh, stories and watching things on YouTube and people, the challenge ratings for intelligence checks, charisma checks, wisdom checks mm-hmm. are about one-tenth of the checks at most in a D&D game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The rest of them are all going to be con, strength, and charisma check or and uh, dexterity checks mm-hmm. or related to those in some way, whether it's AC or strength versus strength uh, or saving versus death kind of things. Yeah, sure. So why would you even want to do that? Because mechanically, it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. if the story never gets to that point. Right. Right. And you and I both know this when people ask for lore or someone asks for knowledge, or someone tries to do a check, and you're like, make a roll, there's only one person in the party who's going to make that check traditionally, and it's the person who's going to always pass it. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the party needs to do an arcane check, like in fighting. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one. You might have stealth, but again, that's dexterity. Yeah. You know? And that, that is the part that really distances us away from mechanics and why it makes it a hindrance. And don't tell me that we haven't in the past, both of us, done the mistake of, I go and try and seduce the guard, you know, to letting us in to the party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, what do you tell him? Stop right there. You've made the mistake. Yep. We're playing D&D. They roll. Yep. You failed. Okay, here's the outcome. What was your approach? I attempt to seduce the guard. Great. Let's make a performance check or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, you know, or charm or however you're planning on doing it. Oh, it succeeded. 
he seems like he knows you. That That's the appropriate response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, how does he know you? You know, and and instead we try and, you know, use the role playing outside of the rule set, the mechanics that are set forth to handle intelligence and wisdom and charisma, which are stats. Like mechanics within the game, which we shouldn't be doing, and yet we step away from them. We step away from the mechanics to do these. Yeah, yeah. All the time. So it's a crutch. Like, we are literally hampering ourselves constantly in systems that have these mechanics. It's the, See, the, the charisma one's a little bit of a double-edged sword, because I, I, I feel like the crux of this discussion is we want to try to get away from the board gamey mechanical aspects of things to allow freedom and role play. Mm-hmm. But like that whole charisma seduction thing is one where you actually want to go back yes. to the rules because it doesn't work the other way around. It, it's exceptionally hard the other way around. Well, I mean, okay, it does, it does work. It just, it, it can lead to a lot of misunderstandings. Well, social things in general are hard. Just as hard as trying to explain a riddle to someone who isn't getting the aesthetic of what you're trying to apply. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you might be trying to push, you know, the riddle of, you know, the three turtles at someone, right? And they're just not getting it. And you're like, a three-year-old could solve this riddle. Like, what, why is this so challenging for them? Why are they doing, you know, pulling out Pagathrin, you know, Pagathrin's theorem, you know, trying to figure it out. <laughs> Maybe it's base eight math. Exactly. Like, no, no, this is simple. And yet that's just an intelligence check, really. Mm-hmm. You know, or, do, you know, as a elf, am I aware of any other elven tombs that might be in this area? Well, you're an elf. Uh, you're 250 years old. Uh, so you're pretty old for an elf even. Yeah, you, you probably do know things. Great. Is it a check or not? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Is it part of the story? Does mm-hmm. it change? Is it a challenge? And that's when things really start getting different. And so do you give your players who are not capable as a player over the capabilities of their character a chance to meet a challenge? That's the part where I think where we're connecting on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, Is where, where that mechanic definitely. makes sense to keep in under those things. And that's where mechanics can help. Mm-hmm. But, like, no, it's not balanced, even in its own system, mm-hmm. ever, really. But we won't... I don't want to lean into that discussion. I think we have a whole story to go over with mechanics. But what I'm getting at with this is that as we start breaking down the mechanical rules, we start getting closer and closer to the raw role play, where it is more about social contract and less about the mechanics of the rules. Yeah, yeah, agreed. You know, you were talking about Powered by the Apocalypse. Most of the games that I've ever witnessed by Power Apocalypse aren't shouting matches about who goes next. No, no, and and that's, that's I think, um, what that game system does really well about fostering that sort of environment. Like, yeah. in my brain, like, I, I've had that happen at my table where everybody starts shouting, like, oh, I, I, I shoot the villain before he ever touches the button. Um, and, and without an initiative system, that's difficult to adjudicate. Mm-hmm. Unless 
you've got some trust at the table, which you really should have some trust at the table, you know. I mean, I go back to our mouse guard game. Yeah, exactly. When uh, have we ever dealt with initiative in the mouse guard and, game? And yeah, and I, I, I go back to even my last Savage Worlds game where yeah. I had three different groups trying to split the party three different ways. So I just dealt out cards. Yeah. And we, we did a simple initiative order for your scenes. Yeah. You know? Yep. And then uh, Sean's character at one point was just, just trying to make an aggressive move against somebody in a social scene. Right. Uh, the man laid hands on him and he had to be put down. So yep. Yep. <laughs> I just, I was like, okay, I just want to make sure that you can act before he can counter that. And so I just drew two cards. Yep. Sean drew higher. So yeah, that guy's, that guy's butt landed on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's simple in-game ways of using the mechanics that are handed to you to, to handle those sort of things. Right. And I think in some cases where you need, where that becomes a need, that is where those mechanics are helping everyone at the table feel comfortable with the contract. You know, they're adding a physicality to it in a way that helps everyone, um, especially the people who are uncomfortable, feel more comfortable because they now know they have a, a, something to look back upon. Right, right. So, uh, Knox in the Box in the live chat is saying, uh, says, I don't know, you, you don't you not fail in a game like Mouse Card, but just succeed or move forward in different ways? So maybe it's not just the failure, but checks with the function of choosing the path for the outcome. Let me see if I'm reading this correctly. So maybe not just failure, but checks with the function of choosing the path for the outcome, no matter if they're equal or not. Um, okay, I, I'm, I'm kind of picking up on that. It's mouse guard is a different system in the way that it, the mechanics work. You, there is no real fail. That is true. It is. Yeah. The story continues. Even if like you critically make a mistake and I use the word mistake uh, to mean like, yeah, you might get injured. You might lose your tail or, or have an eye scarred or sure. lose a tip of your ear or possibly if you choose die, mm -hmm. like sure your mouse can die. It's more about the story continuing than anything else. That's, yeah. that's what it's leaning into. And the consequences come to a group discussion of the story. So that that is part of the contract that is within that game. is that It's an understanding that everyone is there to continue the story as a whole. Not to marry Sue a heroic, ridiculous story because... You only want to succeed, right? And I and I think that's that's really where it comes down to. I I don't think it's a matter of, uh, you know, Musk are not having failure. Therefore, we don't we don't fight over the initiative order. I don't I don't think that's I don't think it's about stakes. I think it's just about the social contract. Like neither of us are there to step on each other's tails. You know? Yeah. And, uh. I th yeah, I think I think that the the we we're we're either all going to succeed together or we're all going to fail together. I think, but to one way or yeah. another, though, the story is going to continue. And I don't think that I I think the social contract at our mouse guard table is such that we all want everyone else at that table to get the limelight mm -hmm. for an appropriate amount of time and to do the thing that their character is good at, pass or fail, and whether they you know and, and tell a good story while we're at it. And so we don't need to fight over initiative order because it's not about getting a one-up on everybody else. In fact, it's a lot more often about passing the spotlight to somebody else. Yes, I think that is very true, for, our, for especially for our game. 
I mean, if in getting back to our Mario Kart game, like I, my character is a math, master Pathfinder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every single pathfinding role is most optimally done by my character who has five points in pathfinding without a doubt how often do i do the pathfinding rolls one in three times maybe if that because i've got a tender paw that i'm trying to to mentor correct so i like letting my tender paw or your tender paw who's a cartographer yeah agreed i like letting them do it because that's not like i already know i'm good at it I yeah. don't need to prove I'm a master pathfinder. I've got other things to do. Let the let the kids do it. You know, yeah. let yeah. them have their moment in the sun. And it, I think it's more about passing a spotlight to tell the story about it rather than trying to hog it ourselves. Correct. And I, that's where the game mechanics kind of let let you know via story. Mm-hmm. You know, you're here to bring up other people. That's part of who you are. And for that reason, Mouse Guard is an exceptionally different game in comparison to any tabletop game. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty big departure from the board gaminess of like I have to win. You I know? I almost feel, and I I mean I we've said this before a couple times that Mouse Guard is an ideal system for role play. It really is, yeah, because it puts everything in the right perspective for role play. Mm-hmm. It spells out the mechanics. For storytelling as a group. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that systems either... Systems don't necessarily ignore, but never hit that chord. They get close. I had a I had a happy moment, I think, that, that fits this, uh, this line of thinking as well with Savage Worlds the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we were, we were talking about this uh, outside of the show um, over, over dinner the other night. Um, you'll, have to, you'll have to bring me back into check. It was a Reddit thread... Uh, and this was kind of where Sean's balance as a crutch discussion came up. Okay. Um, but I'm not going that. Going, I'm not going that direction with it. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the right of the red was basically about in in Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. It said that the rate of fire rules are broken. That's what it was. And I was like, okay, what's what's your take on this? So I clicked on the thread, and it was like, okay, well, if you um, if you buy a a saw which is a type of light machine gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you get a light machine gun, which has got like 200 rounds or something like that. Sure. It does like 2d8 damage per round. And with the rate of fire rules, and if you take two very specific edges, basically turn one of combat, you drop prone with just a free move, and then you can fire off five shots at no recoil penalty, mm-hmm. um, each doing uh, 2d8 damage or something like that, which is which is quite a bit in Savage Especially Worlds. Especially in Savage Worlds, yeah. Which is quite a bit in Savage Worlds. Yeah. Um, and uh, it will only consume like one-fifth of your of your total ammunition to do to fire off these five shots per round. Mm-hmm. So you can do this five rounds in a row with absolutely no recoil penalties. Okay. Exactly. And so like from from the D&D mentality and from the, like the board gamey mentality yeah. of like... This needs to be balanced. All these game rules need to not allow for overpowered Mary Sue combos. Mm-hmm. You know, that looks like a very scary thing of like, oh my goodness, this guy can just drop so much damage in one turn. And the responses that I saw in that thread were perfect. Mm-hmm. The response overwhelmingly was, yeah, and? Mm-hmm. Good for him. They spent a bunch of money on a on a, on a machine gun, and they spent the uh, the their their characters' advances on the edges to be able to use it well. 
good. Let them blow stuff up. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we're, oh, but, but, but you don't think it's over? Well, no, because your story isn't just about how much damage you can do in a turn. Yep. Like, if it becomes about how much damage, like, if they're fighting, a, you know, some gigantic mecha or something like that, or, like, a dragon, or I, I don't know I'm, what else. I'm immediately even... seeing, like, the mummy with the machine gun against a bunch of undead. Right. Sure, great, And then wonderful. somebody else was like, well, it's not balanced. I mean, you can't get a pistol user to do that same amount of damage. No, you shouldn't get a pistol user to do the same amount of damage as someone trained in a light machine gun. Yeah. Expertly a, trained in a light machine gun. A two hundred round belt mag, you know, belt feed mag of seven six twos should not Arnold Schwarzenegger will win. Yeah. The Terminator in the window with the minigun Jesse will win. Ventura and Predator, you yeah, know. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and, and it's it's just it's just about the idea that if you're if you're just leaning on mechanics, okay, if you're just treating this like a board game mm-hmm. with win conditions. Mm-hmm. That looks like they have found the cheat codes to the win condition. Mm-hmm. But the moment you extrapolate that into role play, the moment you extrapolate that into story, and you abstract that situation into something that needs to be interacted with from multiple different avenues, with multiple different characters and stuff like that, mm-hmm. suddenly that character just becomes man with gun. Mm hmm. And if man with gun is not the solution to your problem, mm-hmm. that character doesn't do much now. But they they're c- still a man. They can still communicate. They can still they can still come up with ideas and things like that. Absolutely. And sure, that that's your your ability. Great, but wonderful. But in in when you when you when you take it up to that role play level, and now we're telling a story, you know. Unless you're literally trying to put as much damage as possible into a target, you're not you're not the strongest person on the board. No. If it's a negotiation, the strongest person on the board is the one with the highest persuasion skill. Mm-hmm. If it's an investigation, the strongest person on the board is the person with the highest research skill or highest notice skill. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, congratulations on your machine gun, though. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think I I, I love about. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the 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 more you move from board game style rules, yeah, into the RP space and stuff like that, you start finding that there are other avenues to win the game than what is put before you. Obviously, well, and you use the term win lightly. Yeah, and I use it very I use it very lightly yeah. because I I use it I use it in the term of like a personal victory. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for for me, winning the game is knowing my friends are safe, mm-hmm. knowing that the villain has been thwarted at the end of the day, that you escaped, whatever you completed the goal, and that I did something cool mm-hmm. for me, like in your game. Yeah, you know what? One of my win win conditions in your game is oh. that I get to pull off my combo. <laughs> okay, coat of cold into shatter. That's right. That's all okay. I want. I just think it looks cool aesthetically. It's that is pretty cool. It's it Shiva from Final cool. Fantasy X. If you remember yeah. that animation, no, no, I distinctly remember that. I, I and then I, I, I think of, uh, uh, Mad Elf. Mm-hmm. He just wants to put his template down. He just wants to put that template down. The center of the fireball, fireball goes, goes here. here, man. As he, as long as he gets to light someone on fire every other game, he's he's happy. His characters in he's in, just happy in in pure bliss in in regards to that. And I think that that is where things where we still kind of circulate back to mechanics and firepower. Mm-hmm. 
and we don't see the other the other wins the other the other, the other facets goals, to the other the, facets yeah, yeah 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 but i think it's neat that if you if you distill things down mm-hmm. some of the finest role play that we've seen and i'm i'm going to put it out there dread yeah. dread has the simplest mechanics and some of the most complex role play for those of you not remembering Dread, I know we've talked about it a lot on the show, but I also know that this is episode 143, so I don't hold all of you to knowing our entire library. Um, Dread is played with a Jenga tower. Yep. It's a game of survival horror. When a check is needed, you don't have stats, you don't have dice, you don't nope. have anything like that. Nope. You all communally are using the same Jenga tower, so every time somebody else makes a check, it makes failure more inevitable for everybody else. Yep. And you pull a block. Mm-hmm. And if as long as you can pull that block and place that bot block per the rules of Jenga, um, then you have succeeded and you yep. get to continue. However, if that tower falls at any time, the last person to have touched the tower is removed from the story in a way that is thematically appropriate. Either they are killed by the monster or go, you know, mad and go raving off into the night, mm-hmm. never to be seen again. Or injured and left. Yeah, you know, or whatever. Whatever way is thematically appropriate to remove them from the story at that moment. Yeah, that's that's how it is. And then you rebuild the tower, you remove a handful of blocks, and uh, you start over again. You you continue the story. Um, yeah, but I think the like kind of getting to the point of what we're getting at here yeah. is that I think this is this was the thesis statement for me. This was the, for you. This was the yeah. thing that really made this whole discussion click for me. Is that you said. Think about how pure role play of an experience that is. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And you went, if you muted the audio mm-hmm. on a game of, uh, in a game of dread, mm-hmm. all you're watching is a slow-mo game of Jenga. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing but a slow-mo game of Jenga. Yeah. And when, so extrapolate that to all the other games that you know you know yeah. fifth edition D, all you've got is a tactical combat game it's final fantasy tactics yeah is all yep it's actually, it's actually remarkably close to final fantasy tactics in its, very in much its so. execution very much so um a very slow game of that it, a it, very it, slow game yeah but it is yeah you know it's it's the role play that that kind of elevates it out of board game and brings it to the tabletop brings it to our imaginations brings it in the story but then you you kind of flip that around on its edge. Mm-hmm. What is stopping you from playing the game of life mm-hmm. by Mattel or whatever that you know the, right, the right. company is? You know, Parker, Parker, Brothers, Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers. Yeah, we know. Like, I don't know who owns it anymore. So. Uh, you know, by Parker Brothers and 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 role playing each and every move on that. You know, is it is it more of a pure role playing game if it uses dice instead of that little spinner thingy? Mm-hmm. Is it more of a role-playing game if it uses dice instead of cards or a Jenga tower? Well, and here's the thing is is that I think the dice or or whatever also imparts a sense of success or consequence. Like, that little edge of, like, we've all felt it, where that variety, that moment that you are close to something, like... 
you roll a 14 when you need a 15. And mm-hmm. everybody goes, oh. And it has that, like, oh, God, it was so close. That variant, that minor thing, tells us something about the level of success mm-hmm. in our heads immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, or you roll a 1. <sighs> Ooh. Like, even if it doesn't have a consequence in the mechanics, we still feel it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's a thing, you know, um, it's almost Pavlovian. Right. I mean, and that's true for any game. I don't care if you're playing craps, you know, mm-hmm. that has no role playing imparted upon it because it's literally gambling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you're you still have that 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 sense that that struggle, that anticipation, you know, anticipation, you know, that comes along with it that adds that flavor. And then that is then accelerated into role play, mm-hmm. into theater if you will. So it almost grants the players the ability to explain the moment or grants the storyteller the ability to explain that moment in more detail of how close is close. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what does close look like? Um, it's, it's something that is not deliberate anywhere. And I went looking in role-playing game rules for that, for the close calls. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's nothing. Yeah, so many of them are pass-fail. It, it, it is just pass-fail. We, we, as players and storytellers, add that. It tells you exactly what happens when a one occurs on a specific roll, mm-hmm. or when you... Don't make the DC. You take the damage or you take half the damage, right? Those are the types of things that are written in the guise. It doesn't tell you that if you didn't make it by one, your character definitely tried to, you know, was just not dexterous enough to get out. That's not there. There's not even anything in the DM's guide that explains the role-playing aspects of that in D&D. Yeah, it's just like, uh, yeah, it does uh, 2d6 damage and uh, half if you make your deck save. Right. There's nothing that talks about the flavor at all. All of that, all of that flavor that we're adding, that drama, that that edge of theater, that the imagery, the social edge to it, all of that is added after the fact. Mm-hmm. Outside of the rules, 100%. And... And gives the sense of role play, gives the sense of drama and theater within it. And the more and more I think about that, the more the question rolls around in the back of my mind of why do we need the rules at all? I, again, it that is where we come back to the social contract aspect. Right, right. We, we as people have two things going for us. We haven't died in enough car accidents. <laughs> Okay. And and I say that funnily in a way that we all have rules for the road. We go, we get licensed, we, we know what those rules are, and then just like D&D, we never look at the rules book again, and we completely forget that they're there, or that the rules have changed over multiple versions. We hand a quarter-ton weapon to, uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to a, a teenager. To a teenager, yeah. and then tell them when they're 40, they're still doing it okay as long as the GM hasn't pulled them over, mm-hmm. right? But there's a constant social contract that when I'm doing 70 miles an hour on a freeway, you know, or 100 kilometers per hour, that the guy in the vehicle next to me isn't just going to slam into my vehicle mm-hmm. or drive the wrong direction because he likes this side of the road better than the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
But we also have that as a written rule somewhere. We know it. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Right? You stay on your say, I stay on my side. There's no rule that says specifically when you cross it, it just says you're out of bounds. That's all it says. Mm-hmm. Right? But that's that's how we handle life. In role-playing, we do the same thing. There are other social norms that don't fit the rules. The question is, is how much framework do we need before the social contract holds tight? And I think the truth of the matter is it comes down to your table. Yeah, I was just going to say that, that, that the answer to that question really depends on your group. Yep. Because you're going to end up with um groups like 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 we have you know where i can deal out just a couple cards and Mm -hmm. say okay your card is higher than their card you go first Mm -hmm. and the the people who just you know who who now have to wait you know 20 minutes for you guys to complete your scene Mm -hmm. go oh okay Mm -hmm. and they fold their hands and they quietly and patiently listen and they're they're involved in the story they're paying attention and stuff Mm -hmm. they're happy for you when you have your victory and then it comes to their turn and you guys wait patiently or, though, you end up with a table where people need to be reminded of the social contract or who will actively try to break the social contract. Or who are too impatient. Or too, or too impatient, you know, um, who, who want to try to use and manipulate the game system or, or even the other people at the table to try to do that. So, you know, your flexibility with the social contract is really going to depend on your table. Mm-hmm. It's really going to depend I on... I mean, and it's it's funny. We, we use terms like power gaming and rules lawyering. Yeah. And, um, and bullying, mm-hmm. table bullying. I've definitely heard that a few times. Um, uh, uh, what was it? Um, anti-heroing. You know, where you have somebody at the table who is there for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not there for anyone else. You know, they're there to play the game and win the game themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. they have their own story, their own agenda. This is their game. Well, I'm just playing the game. No, no, no. You're playing your own game. You're ignoring the rest of the table. This is now a personal story, your own novel. You should go write it. Mm-hmm. Like, just go. And you end up getting Mary Sue's out of that. The, the impossibly perfect mm-hmm. situation where nothing bad can happen at it. And that's the variant point. I think that's the hard variant point that really defines board game versus role play. And I see it all the time. You look at you look at Reddit and you look at people who are talking about a player who is doing something that is against the social contract. And the game master storyteller is asking, how do I handle this player mm-hmm. with this X situation, which is clearly one of the defined terms? Sure. The answer is they're not playing a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. They are not cooperative. They're not trying to cooperatively tell the story. Either mentally they're not prepared for it, or they're actively deciding that they don't want to do that. They yeah. want to play a board game, a tactical board game where they can win over the other players. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that, That's where this kind of came to a head for me was that the rules are there only so long as they are necessary outside of the social contract and 
can help the story be told in a fun, dramatic, and entertaining way. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because realistically, beyond that, the mechanics, like we said, are kind of pointless. Yeah. Because you can do it with dread. <laughs> <laughs> you can do if you can do if you can adjudicate a game with a Jenga tower. You can adjudicate a game with anything. I mean, yeah. heck, look at Amber. Oh God, freaking Amber. Amber doesn't even have a Jenga tower. Doesn't even have a Jenga tower. You know, just has a lot of dominating people. I mean, we've already done the diceless game. I mean, it's it may be cutthroat, but yeah. it's still it's still a diceless game. You know. Yeah. And if as long as everybody's adhering to the social contract, yeah, you can absolutely play it. One hundred percent, one hundred percent agree with you. And like, for me, and I was I was saying this earlier when we were coming up with the sheet and we were mm-hmm. talking about this was that as we, you and I, doing these shows, have come through these one hundred and forty-two episodes, yeah, and our years of role play before that, and and screwing things up and running terrible games and horrific stories that we're like, why did we do this? Sure. Sure. You know, and and I'm saying session to session, whole storylines, probably, probably pretty cool at times, but in some cases a session was like, <laughs> yeah, it's a bad idea. Yeah, man. You know, we have come to this point where we are having this better understanding for ourselves of what role play and storytelling is and how, extra- how to extract that from what we know as tabletop role play mm-hmm. to this is role play. This is at, at its purest form and the necessary components if you want success. And we're we're doing our best to try and put it out there, but we're still learning and discovering. And I feel great about it. I love that. Yeah. Like I yeah. It, it, it's wonderful when I can find a moment of like, oh boy. You know, and <laughs> it's not so much the light comes on, but it's more like the light comes on in the closet that I just realized I found. And I'm like, there's a lot more in this room, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's exciting in a way. Yeah, for for me, that's 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 usually every show topic for me. <laughs> you find something. Uh, I, I find a little something, you know, there, there are show topics, um, you know, like, like this one in general, you know, uh, uh, this one specifically, I... I, I uh, you know, we jotted it down on our on our list of, mm-hmm. of of planned shows, and I was like, okay, well, this is something that you know, Rob Rob obviously has some opinions of. I'm I'm not sure I have a lot of opinions on this one, but okay, sure, you know, we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah. And uh, so I I jotted down like I think one or just one or two little things or something like that, or, and or I was going to I didn't yeah, even get didn't around even I didn't even put them on the sheet, and I was like I was like yeah, I kind of want to talk to you because like I could only come up with like one or two things, and then forty five minutes later we're having role playing philosophy one hundred one. <laughs> it's true, and I'm it's like true. oh, I see the structure of everything. I can see the, <laughs> the matrix. <weave. laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's cool. But there's there's been a lot of there's been a lot of a lot of shows like that for me where uh, I started out by jotting down, uh, you know, so dice dice are fun to play with, and then clicky clocky math rocks, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, forty five minutes later, I'm like picking apart mathematics and mathematics and player incentives and psychology behind doing certain things in your role playing game. And, you know, uh, it's, 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 yeah, 
It's good when that happens. No, I like it. I like it a lot. So, And it's why next month we are going to try and continue our storytelling 101. Um, one of the things we are doing, ne- the, I think next month's topic is the con- uh, concept of campaign. Yeah. yeah. And it's how to turn your idea... Which we talked about last month. For your story. So we, yeah, we talked, we talked about inspiration. Month, like, yes. where do you get your ideas from? Okay, right. so you've got an idea. What do you do with it now? Right. How do you turn that idea into a game you can pitch to your friends? Yeah. How do you decide on mechanics? How do you decide on players? How do you decide how that story is going to unfold? Mm-hmm. How far do you go with that story? Like, how do you form your group? Yeah. yeah. Do you put any restrictions on your group? Yeah. How are... How are you? And we're going to take you basically to the point where you are at a session zero, getting ready to gear up and start that campaign. So you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave, at least when we're not having massive internet <laughs> issues. Very true. Uh, and join us on Discord. Uh, you can find the link up on our Twitter, and you can uh, also find that on our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulavu, those name members, and others. We thank you every month for your support. It truly helps us keep everything going here. Our pre-show music, which you didn't hear today, is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music, and if you're hearing this on the uh, normal recording, is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can uh, find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're probably hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Vicky, thank you for finding these mics and this system to be able to have us do this <laughs> when we don't have internet. <laughs> All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to share these great stories with you and you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. Love you. Good night. Good night.